Our scripture is Leviticus 5, 14 through 16, Leviticus 6, 1 through 7, and Numbers 5, 5 to 10, restitution to God. First of all, Leviticus 5, 14 through 16. <clears throat> Leviticus 5, 14 through 16. And the Lord speak unto Moses, saying, If a soul commit a trespass and sin through ignorance in the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring forth trespass unto the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock. With thy estimation, by shekels of silver, after the shekel of the sanctuary for a trespass offering. And he shall make amends for the harm that he hath done in the holy things, and shall add the fifth part thereto, and give it unto the priest. And the priest shall make an atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. Then Leviticus 6, 1 through 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, If a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord, and lie unto his neighbor in that which was delivered him to keep or in fellowship, or in a thing taken away by violence, or hath deceived his neighbor, or have found that which was lost, and lieth concerning it, and sweareth falsely, in any of all these that a man doeth sinning therein, then it shall be, because he hath sinned and is guilty, and he shall, that he shall restore that which he took violently away, or the thing which he hath deceitfully gotten, or that which was delivered him to keep, or the lost thing which he found or all that about which he hath sworn falsely, he shall even restore it in the principle, and shall add the fifth part more thereto, and give it unto him to whom it appertaineth in the day of his trespass offering. And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord, a ram without blemish out of the flock, with thy estimation for a trespass offering unto the priest. And the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord, and it shall be forgiven him for any thing of all that he hath done in trespassing therein. And finally, Numbers 5, 5 through 10. Numbers 5, 5 through 10. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, when a man or woman shall commit any sin that men commit to a trespass against the Lord, and that the person be guilty, then they shall confess, confess their sin which they have done, and he shall recompense his trespass with the principle thereof, and add unto it the fifth part thereof, and give it unto him against whom he hath trespassed. But if the man have no kinsman to recompense the trespass unto, let the trespass be recompensed unto the priest, unto the Lord, even to the priest, beside the ram of the atonement, whereby an atonement shall be made for him. And every offering of all the holy things of the children of Israel, which they bring unto the priest, shall be his. And every man's hallowed thing shall be his. Whatsoever any man giveth the priest, it shall be his.
Two or three months ago, we dealt with the laws of restitution in Scripture. We saw at that time that the basic kinds of penalties for crime in the Bible were capital punishment for capital offenses and for incorrigible criminals and delinquents and restitution. If a man stole a hundred dollars, he had to restore the hundred dollars plus another hundred, the exact amount he hoped to profit thereby. In certain cases, you recall, for example, where livestock was concerned, which had the possibility of increase above and over the increase of money, the restitution had to be the sheep or the ox that he stole plus a fourfold or a fivefold restitution. The laws that we read just now also deal with restitution. They are a kind of footnote to the basic laws of restitution that we dealt with earlier in Exodus 22, verses 1 through 14. They are a footnote, we might say, a minor addition, dealing with minor matters. And yet I think the very fact that these laws deal with minor problems is significant in what it says concerning the law. Let's analyze these three sets of laws. First of all, Leviticus 5, 14 through 16, deals with inadvertent errors concerning things belonging to God. But, a person who has been informed concerning the obligation to tithe, and is a tithe, and then makes a mistake in computing his tithe, and is off four or five percent because of an inadvertent error, brings, therefore, a trespass offering to God plus the full amount wherein he was wrong, he miscalculated, let us say, by $50 or, let's say, $100. He brings the $100 with a fifth added, or $20. Then, in Leviticus 6, 1-7, the reference again is to small offenses with respect to a neighbor. It speaks of violence, but the Hebrew clearly means not acts of violence in our sense of the word, but deceptive ways, small deceit, whereby another person's property is either appropriated or destroyed. The reference is very clearly in the Hebrew to small things. Let's put it in very common, modern terms. Supposing you are in a friend's home and you are helping, this will apply to women, helping with the dishes, there is a party or some do, and you break a platter that is 
surprised by the hostess. And you're very much embarrassed about it, and you slip it away, the chipped or broken platter, and go off, embarrassed. This is the kind of offense to which it applies. Or damaging a neighbor's tool when you are working with him. It refers thus to minor offenses. And again, the requirement is that a sin offering or a trespass offering be made to the Lord. There be a full restitution plus 20%. In Numbers 5, 5 to 10, the same offense with respect to one's neighbor is treated. Again, real offenses, but minor matters due to carelessness or error and then compounded by being embarrassed and covering it up and going off feeling a little bit uh, unhappy and embarrassed about the matter. In Numbers 5, 5 to 10, the point is made that in case by the time the person decides to make restitution for this, there is no one to whom he can make it. Perhaps the family is moved into another country. He no longer has their address. No way of reaching them. What does he then do? He still must make a trespass offering to the Lord and then make the restitution to the priest or the pastor. In this case, the restitution becomes the property of the priest, the purpose of it being to protect his confession. In other words, the fact that he has made this restitution is not to be public knowledge. So this brings us to another facet with respect to these offenses. They are to the person they do not go through a court, but it is a moral and a legal obligation. It is nobody else's business. Where there is a serious offense like genuine theft of considerable property, then it goes through the court. Restitution is ordered by the court. But these are little things. The law thus requires restitution. But it says these minor matters are between the Lord, the person, and the offended party. And therefore, the restitution, when it is made to the priest, is not public property by being entered into the temple record. Now, there are certain principles that appear in these three laws, which are important for us to realize. First of all, it stipulates that restitution has to be made because God requires it. It is a restitution of God's order. The slightest offense that any man commits is also an offense against God. Now, in Exodus 22, verses 1 through 14, sacrifice is not required in those specific laws because it is assumed. That is, every offense is an offense against God. It is specifically cited here because 
Its purpose is to remind us that the slightest breach of order is a breach of God's order. That God wants human society to move in terms of law. That the slightest infraction of that law is also an offense against him. And so God appears in every situation. The second point, of course, restitution plus 20%. We have seen previously the importance of restitution. Crime today, because it lacks restitution, is a profitable matter. It is interesting to see what criminals themselves have to say about crime today. The old saying, crime does not pay, is only true in a Christian order. Because then the thief pays hundred percent uh, at a minimum of the value of that which he has stolen. But an English criminal whose confessions and answer to questions by a couple of scholars have been published as the Courage of His Convictions, interesting title, was asked about the risks involved in his death. And the fact that with his record of prison sentences for a variety of offenses, the next time he got caught for any offense, there was a likelihood of an eight-year prison term. His answer was, and I quote, I don't want to do eight years, no. But if I have to, and that's all there is to it, yes, if you're a criminal, what's the alternative to the risk of going to prison? Coal miners don't spend their time worrying about the risk they might get killed by a fall of the coal base either. Prison's an occupational risk, that's all. And one I'm quite prepared to take. I willingly gamble away a third of my life in prison so long as I can live the way I want for the other two-thirds. After all, it's my life, and that's how I feel about it. The alternative, the prospect of vegetating the rest of my life in a steady job, catching the 8.13 to work in the morning and the 5.50 back again at night, all for 10 or 15 quid a week. Now that really ter does terrify me, far more than the thought of a few years in the next, unquote. Now he's very candid and he's very honest. After all, he's living very, very well. And he figures it's a cheap price to pay a third of his life in prison to live high the rest of the time. The principle of restitution removes all profit from crime. Now, the purpose of biblical law is to make restitution of God's order as well as to remove profit from crime. The Anglo-Saxons, and England carried on the Anglo-Saxon tradition, did believe in removing the profit from crime. But they applied their principle of punishing crime with incredible rigor. Every kind of theft in ancient Anglo-Saxon law was punishable with death. 
if it was above the value of twelve pence. And those of you who have read about the kind of executions that prevailed in 18th century England and almost between Victoria's reign have often read that this was a terrible indictment of the kind of Christian civilization they had. They did indeed hang people for stealing a loaf of bread, or stealing a cat, or stealing a pair of shoes. But this was not any part of Christian law. It was simply a survival in England of the old Anglo-Saxon pagan law. And the fallacy in that Anglo-Saxon law was that it was a case of overkill, was it not? There was no justice behind it. As a result, it didn't solve anything because it did not create a just social order. And thus it was always a failure. Hanging wholesale as they did did not alter the situation or instill in the public at large in England at any time that the Anglo-Saxon laws were put into force any sense of justice because the Anglo-Saxon law was itself injustice. It was a disproportionate penalty, which is not biblical. The purpose of the biblical law is to restore order, God's order. It is to institute justice, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth. That is, there must be a proportion between the offense and the crime. That's the meaning of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Then another important aspect of this law is this simply. Restitution and little things make for better relations with regard to our neighbors. A very sizable amount of the offense between person and person is very small. The modern attitude is forgive and forget. To go back to our illustration of the platter, the modern hostess would, if she learned about it, say, oh, think nothing of it. Just forget about it. It's nothing. But it is something. And it may be a platter which she prizes a great deal. In fact, it may be one that is a particularly fine piece which has family associations and many things that make it very dear to her. The principle of restitution is the principle of justice. And so many of the frictions between people are precisely in the area of little things. And thus the biblical law requiring that in little things like this there be restitution plus 20%. Simply makes for better relations. It makes for better understanding between friend and friend. And there isn't this kind of thing rankling between people. It certainly makes people more careful, does it not? And although people say, oh, forgive and forget little things like that, they don't forget. I have known women who have been insistent when they've had some kind of 
appear in their home, a bridge club or something like that, and one of the guests has spoken a particular piece. Old think nothing about it and have been effusive about the matter. And yet, according to their husbands, ten years later, they're still harping about the fact that Mrs. So-and-so broke that teapot or that dish. In other words, little things are important and a big factor in our everyday lives. And God's law governs little things as well as great things. And it establishes a principle of justice. Finally, we saw in Numbers 5, 5 to 10, the fact of confession to the priest when there was no one to whom restitution could be made. If the family next door had moved away and there was no knowledge of where they had moved to, so there was no way of, say, the man or the woman making restitution in this little thing to their neighbor, then it was made to the priest with confession. And it could not be publicized. It could not be even entered into the temple receipt. It became the private property of the priest for the reason that it was not to be publicized. Now, why confession in such a case? What we need to realize is the meaning of confession. True confession is restitution. But when a person has broken, to go back to the platter, a platter, they only make true confession when they make restitution. When we confess our sins to God, we have not truly confessed them if we have not made restitution. Restitution, therefore, is the basic confession. It is the heart of confession. It indicates integrity. It is not merely worth. It's a very simple thing, and very many people are quite good at it. To confess anything from a small sin to a major one, and then to demand that their husband or wife or their parents or their neighbor forgive them. It's like the man I once knew who admitted to adultery periodically and confessed it to his wife, usually when he was found out, and was quite happy because his wife was disinclined to forgive him. I've confessed, what more does she want? Now, of course, this is why confession in the modern world is such a silly and useless thing. Whether it's to a clergyman or whether it's to a psychiatrist, the meaning has been destroyed. Because true confession is restitution. And therefore, there is no confession cited to the neighbor because it is assumed that the confession there is the restitution. To the priest, it is cited because then he specifies to whom it was. But even then, the confession is inviolate 
in that in these little offenses it is between God and the persons involved and none other. This means, therefore, when Mrs. Jones breaks Mrs. Smith's flower and makes restitution, she has fulfilled her obligation. And Mrs. Smith then has an obligation to keep that confession in God. Keep her mouth shut, in other words. These little things are governed by God's law. In order to make relations between man and man godly, and godly relations require restitution. Thus, these three laws are relatively minor matters dealing with very insignificant and trifling affairs. But most of life is made up of trifling affairs. And it is the greatness of God's life that provides the way between man and man and woman and woman of dealing with little offenses. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the glory of thy body. We thank thee that it provides us a way, a way of coping with ourselves and with one another and with all the problems we just like to see. Give us grace, therefore, to walk day by day in terms of thy law and word, rejoicing in thy grace, delighting in thy providence of sin, working in thee to restore godly order to every area of life. Bless us for this purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. Are there any questions now with respect to our lesson? Yes. A very good point. Yes. There is such a restitution required, and the law, as we saw some months ago, does require continual restoration of the earth. Man has an obligation to make restitution to the earth. And of course, this is one area where we have very signally sinned. One of the ironies of uh, the news lately is that there's a great deal about pollution, and we have lost who centered in the past few days with regard to the oil pollution at Santa Barbara. Now, of course, any time there is pollution, it's bad. But the ironic thing is that that was a single incident, that the pollution up and down the Pacific coast by the city in their pouring of sewage into the ocean is tremendous. That all seepage was a trifle compared to the continual pollution. But there's no view and cry about that. And that has cost millions and billions of dollars in loss of fishing, in loss of the uh, kelp beds, and in a variety of other things. 
but you don't hear much about that because the offense there is of the state of the government. And that's not a sin nowadays when the government commits it. Yes. How do you arrive at what? Oh, the limit of restitution. The law requires certain uh, things. For example, I've specified a hundred dollars. A hundred dollars stolen to be restored plus exactly the same amount, another hundred. Restitution at its most is fivefold. Thus, certain types of livestock, because of their value and their capacity to reproduce, because their hide has value, their meat has value, their reproductive ability gives value, have to be restored fivefold. But if you still feel a cat because reproductive qualities and therefore is not not only represents itself but future wealth to the owner, you restore that cat plus five. Now that's the maximum, fivefold. But there are categories of offenses and this guides the extent of the restitution. Imprisonment was not a part of the biblical law. It was either a capital offense or it was restitution. Yes. It is theft. Yes. It is theft. Exactly. Good point. This scripture is the basis of restitution, of confession. In the early church, the confession called for restitution always. Gradually, restitution began to disappear, and it was replaced with penance, which is something entirely different. When you make restitution, you are restoring to the person offended. When you make penance, you're just punishing yourself by going through certain spiritual or so-called spiritual exercises, and that's a radically different thing. So, confession has changed radically in its character over the centuries. Yes. forfeited any right 
And his situation is now one where it's the grace of the wife which maintains the relationship. So he has no rights in the situation. Unless over a period of time he proved himself to be of a changed character. But uh, the idea that you could just say, I'm sorry, and it's right now, this is a modern myth. And it is exceedingly immoral the modern idea of forgiveness and confession is just entitling you to be forgiven and to wipe it out. Exactly. You put your finger on it. If you tell a person who's stolen a hundred dollars, go by for a wife, forget about it. You are contributing to the offense. Because in terms of God's law, there's one answer to sin. It's either the death penalty or restitution. And you are then cooperating to destroy restitution, to destroy a basic aspect of moral order. And you have no right to do that because then you have joined with a thief in sinning against God.
what? Of course, in cases like that, God has blessed retribution. Remember, Israel destroyed the land. It polluted everything. It polluted the earth by failure to abide by God's laws. It polluted money. It uh, destroyed it. One of the indictments is you turn uh, silver into glass. You have clubs instead of real money, and so on. So what was the punishment? Well, God was going to exact retribution of the entire land, and it was going to lie idle for 70 years to be restored. And so they were going to go into captivity for 70 years. And it is interesting that uh, the modernists who try to wipe out every prophecy by saying it never occurred have not been able to dig up any kind of flimsy excuse to eliminate that prophecy. But it was actually foretold that the land would suffer captivity for 70 years because it was the only way God could exact restitution for the land. And it was exactly 70 years. Yes. What was that? Yes, but we must remember what forgiveness means. Our word forgive today is a meaningless word. It means a kind of a, an emotional feeling or a statement. But the biblical word forgive is a legal term. It has reference to a court of law. It means literally charges deferred because satisfaction has been made. So what does forgiveness mean in the Bible? The charges are charges dropped because satisfaction has been made. It means therefore that the charges against someone are dropped because he has made restitution. Then there is forgiveness. There is only one other meaning of forgive in the Bible, and it's used in that other sense one. Charges deferred for the time being, pending something. Now, our Lord used it in that second sense one, from the cross, when he said of the Roman soldiers and the others, Father, forgive them. Defer the charges for the time being, for they know not what they do. But if a person sins 70 times 7 and makes restitution 70 times 7, satisfaction is made, you see. Restitution maybe is to be forgiven. But not if he just comes and says, forgive me. I'll get ten dollars out of your wallet. Or I'll get this and that. Then we're simply subsidizing the sinner or a thief, you see. The word forgive, in the biblical sense, always requires restitution. Yes. Very good question. Forgiveness can only be given when the last is filled. Exactly. Now, we are forgiven in Jesus Christ because the last is filled. That's the whole point of the cross. 
even saved now, were alive in Christ because we have been dead in Christ. Now, we must abide by the law and make restitution. As St. Paul said, and he, he spoke in the seventh chapter of being dead to the law through Christ, but then in the eighth, he had been made alive. Why? That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, that we might now speak the law of God, and that we might make restitution. If you have forgiveness on any other terms than fulfillment of the law, you're destroying godly order. You're creating a sinful society. Just this week, I heard from someone who's brought with two of the top radio evangelists in the country, and both of them, when it comes to financial and other dealings, are crooked and as can be. And he's, in fact, trying to get money out of God now to him. And the man doesn't deny it, but the law being what it is now, it's virtually impossible to correct. There's no feeling of any obligation on the part of either of these men. They're crooked. But they feel they're under grace, not under law. And this is why you have so many of your top so-called evangelical leaders as crooked as a pig's tail because they have no sense of love. Yes. And then later, he goes over to 
out and he realizes he's made an error. So the reference there is not to the fact that he was deliberately trying to teach God that it was an inadvertent thing. That's manslaughter, and there are lives that deal with manslaughter in this system. If there's negligence, then it is murder, even though the guilt is not intentional. Uh, the advice is not intentional. Well, our time is just about up. A little item in the paper of Tuesday of this week, which I think is very interesting sign of the times is from Parker Costica from the Herald Examiner, Tuesday, February 3, 1970. The voters of Parker voted for 15 new municipal councilors Sunday, and the vote kept coming and coming and coming. The list of candidates, headed by Etienne Gabaldi, a list including socialist, radical socialist, and independent candidates, got a majority. The French government prefect now will have to decide on the next move. When the counting is finished, the election judges counted 9,647 ballots. And there are only 4,303 registered voters on the town's voting list. In addition, 401 absentees have asked to vote by mail. The postman brought in 892 absentee ballots. Well, this is happening not only in Corsica, but more often than most people realize in a good many precincts of the United States. And, of course, this is the kind of thing that happens when there is no question in the people. And there's nothing you can do to prevent this sort of changing the people. As long as you have a population of sinners, Makes no difference whether you have a democracy or a republic, a monarchy, a dictatorship, or what you were. You're going to have corruption. Out of the heart of man. And if the heart of man be polluted, then he's going to bring forth truth in conformity. As our Lord says, you don't take faith from quickly. And today, We've got a good crop of pistols in every country in the world, and we're getting pistols as a result. Our time is up.